Welcome to episode 97 of Friends of Film, a podcast with the Smooth News and Anthony Alchalisis. On this episode, we'll cover Billy Batson casting, Black Adam's debut, Disney buying Fox, and more after review Murder on the Orient Express. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again, Joe Brown Man, ready to record this episode for a second time, Josh Straley. <laughs> It was bound to happen eventually, uh, though, right? I guess. We made, it, we made it through 96 episodes, plus previews, plus specials, and mm-hmm. our first emergency episode last week, and it never happened, but it just did. I hit the wrong button and deleted our entire recording right after we finished. So 96.1. Yeah, this is 97. Uh, this episode 97 version 2. Yes, 2.0. <laughs> So, so, which means it'll be better, sleeker, right, and <laughs> marginally more expensive, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, but not I mean, inherently better. We, yeah, there's this is gonna, probably going to be a more off the rails episode because we did just talk about all of this stuff for an hour and nine minutes, and now we're back to do it again. Don't so, worry, I've got my Fox outrage ready to uh, <laughs> throw at you during our review here. Right, so. we'll have to see how it all turns out. But as I said, top again. We're here to review Murder on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. Josh's week two starts for a movie he was looking forward to. We yeah. saw it together. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get into spoilers if our conversation <laughs> goes yeah. the way it did last time. And uh, once we do, there'll be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you guys can skip those spoilers if you haven't seen the movie yet. And go on ahead on to the news. But Josh... Tell everybody yeah. <laughs> what you sure. actually thought of Murder on the Express. All right. Well, this will surprise you to hear, Cooper. No. But I I liked it. <gasps> yes. Shot. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, Hercule Perot, the star of Agatha, Agatha Christie's, most of Agatha Christie's detective novel, mystery novels, is the star of this movie. Played by Kenneth Bronner. He is your favorite from the very get-go of the movie. He's whimsical. He's charismatic charming and it's basically describing kenneth bronner uh, and his him, more or him, less yeah he's fused with this character they're almost indistinguishable except for the the mustache which is by far the best character trait that the guy's got absolutely yeah i mean there's there's one gag in particular where he gets woken up in like the middle of the night on the train and he pops up and he's wearing a night mask, but his mustache <laughs> is also wearing a night mask. It's awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know why that's there, but it's great. Yeah. I want one for my non-existent mustache. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely terrific. But the movie as a whole kind of feels like a dramatic mystery film, a thriller, but that zigs and zags back and forth with a stage play, which is sometimes whimsical comedy is deadpan and dry and the two don't really mesh together and that's kind of where you feel disconnected from the movie and it carries that tone throughout and it's a bit of a letdown because you see this funny guy uh, funny or very um, he's got his Hercule Perot has his idiosyncrasies yes so you're laughing and giggling and all of those, but in the backdrop, there's this murder, this murder mystery that is very dead serious, you know? And you're like, these don't quite fit well together, and you just can't quite place it. Um, but what we do have, though, and what I thought was going to be the star of this movie was the cast. From Josh Gad, a funny guy, but also, you know... You can do you can do serious, but then there's Daisley Ridley, there's Vanellope Cruz, there's William Defoe. Um, who else do we have? I mean, it goes on and on and yeah. on, and you're looking forward to these people being on screen together, and they aren't. I mean, the, Hercule Perot, thankfully, is the best of all of them. He's our main guy, but these characters are very one note. Um, we di- we dip into their backstories. We do it with everybody's, and it's so routine as we move through the movie that it's just kind of like, oh, we're this is kind of just checking boxes now. Yeah. We we assemble the cast that we didn't assume we would get, maybe, and then they're like, all right, well, we got to do now. So everyone gets relegated to their own little spaces, and you're just kind of by the end of the film, you're like, okay, there's nothing really special about these people other than 
that's who they are. And they were kind of like part of the draw. So that was, so that was like a really big letdown. Um, especially because huge fan of Daisy Ridley, huge fan of Josh Gad. Absolutely. William Defoe is terrific as well. And you know, Leslie Odom Jr., the guy from Hamilton who has just like an amazing voice. He gets plenty of screen time, but his character is just so unexciting. It's just yeah. kind of like, ah, super flat. Yeah, absolutely. So, all of that happens, and by the time that we get this grand unveiling of who the murderer is, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, oh, well, I don't, I don't really feel anything because I didn't really feel anything for these characters other than Kenneth Bronner's Hercule Perot, and that's it. You're just kind, you're you're left trying to get in his head or be in his head, mm-hmm. and we aren't really allowed that at all. I mean, he he shines through, but everyone else is just sort of left in the dark, and that's that's a letdown. Um, but I will say though, the movie is beautiful. Um, it was shot by Harris Bar Hukas, if I'm getting that right. I think you got it better the first time. Okay, yeah, I'm butchering <laughs> it there. It's Zarbakalis, I think. There we that go. That sounds better. Yes, uh, he worked with Bronner on Thor, and you know we get this kind of like steel blue palette across everything as the train is hurtling through the Himalayas, the mountain, mm-hmm. you know, this, this gorgeous mountain landscape. Um, we get to see these kind of like sweeping shots of the train. Um, when it's in the station, it's kind of like a fake one take as we kind of move from the, the outside of the station. And then we see uh, Perot walk through going cart after cart, bumping into and having conversations with, and you know, the characters kind of give off their one note, uh, announcement of who they are, and uh, there's a great he, Michelle Pfeiffer and Michelle Pfeiffer, of course. Yeah. You know, and him have this great long talk as she's kind of like telling him his life, her life story as they move through, and that's all really great and fun. And then um, one of the parts that wasn't my absolute favorite was this to kind of like show off how crammed everything was. They take this overhead shot. And we're standing out in the hallway of the one of the rail cars, and the camera kind of pans over the top as we see our characters kind of funnel in and out, just getting a look at the top of their heads. And I hated it the, fir- the first because I'm like, I want to see these people's faces and actually see them <laughs> act and not just right. say words. But getting kind of like a master view of how everyone's moving throughout the space and jumping over each other and, you know, interacting, it was kind of really cool to get that look at. So I did appreciate all of that. But, but like I said earlier, the movie is balancing between, oh, we want to have like the lighthearted humor that the PG version had um, back from 74. Mm-hmm. But they don't do that. They want to be dramatic. And it's that balance that just isn't struck well and ultimately leads to the movie being kind of forgettable. And I don't think I'll ever view it again. And I'll have to say it's three out of four ticket stubs. Three out of four? We must have changed our... Three out of five, <laughs> yes. That's how we tape an episode for a second time, I guess. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, so I will echo a lot of things you said. Okay. Uh, we are, we've, we're pretty much on the same page, as you already know, but for the listeners. Um, I thought this was a very well-made movie that didn't do anything new. Okay. And didn't really affect me in any really way. It... And this is your first time even experiencing the murder on the Orient Express mystery, right? That is that is correct. Okay, no I book, have, no early read film. Agatha Christie's book. I've not seen the previous movie. Got it. Um, that you are a big fan of, uh, and I think Brana did a good job as the director. But the problem with this movie was it kind of felt lifeless throughout most of it. Um, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, I'm serious. I didn't even say that the first time around. So uh, this one, I just felt like I needed a little bit more energy to it. It felt just, you know, like you, we're just kind of going on this mystery and trying to figure out who killed Johnny Depp. I don't think that's a spoiler to say who died. Um, yeah. And if it is, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the second time. So, sure. Um, but it's... I mean, yeah, it, I mean, it's pleasing to the eye, but again, as we like, as we travel through this journey, I'm just like, okay, I'm waiting for clues to pop up and then the clues aren't actually clues or the clues don't actually mean anything. They're like, they're fake clues, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's, that's, I mean, disappointing in the long run. Um, you mentioned the great cast and it, it is great, but they don't have anything to do. I mean, Daisy yeah. Ridley gets really nothing. I mean, they're all, they get their one moment with, 
um, with Brana, and then they get a couple of moments, you know, paired up or as an entire ensemble. But in those moments, they don't really get a chance to actually do anything and actually have cool and fun and memorable interactions. It's right. more just like stock stuff that you expect to see in these sort of movies. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, ultimately the way it all plays out, I didn't love the story element of it. I how, can't believe this. I, no, I know, but I mean, it's, it, I don't know. They just didn't strike me the right way. Um, maybe if I, I don't know, maybe I'd seen it a long time ago or if I saw the original, uh, not even the least bit like surprised or like, Oh no. Really? I, I mean, I was kind of surprised cause I didn't, I wasn't expecting that sort of a twist, but I was like, this is dumb that this is the twist. Oh, <laughs> I don't like it. And we'll get into it in spoilers here really quick. But, uh, ultimately I will give this movie two and a half ticket stubs out of five, because even though it wasn't great, I can't say it's a bad movie cause it's, yeah. it's well made and everything. It's just not for me. And like you said, I'll never watch this movie again and I'll, probably never talk about it again or really ever think about it <sighs> yeah okay like first of all spoilers by the way from here on out if you haven't seen murder on the orient express okay Go. so let me get this straight first of all you were not the least bit like you're not even like oh that was clever or like no it felt hey. it felt contrived i was like this is Con- contrived yeah. she invented it <laughs> well <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, not invented. It kind of stole it from Shakespeare. Okay. But that's Julius Caesar. They all kind of, you know, they all stab at him. But everybody's in on it. It's like the the original, you're the only one crazy here type of a deal. Or like, it's like Shutter Island, but on a train and murder mystery. Shutter Island's way more interesting than this movie. Yeah, but it's kind of like. Because Shutter Island, it's like everybody is in on it it, except for the main person. mm Mm-hmm. And the way they reveal the twist of Shutter Island is like so much more interesting than spoilers Kenneth, for Shutter Island. <laughs> Kenneth, well, I, we didn't spoil what happened. Uh, Got it. What happens in that movie and the way they reveal it is way more interesting than Kenneth Branagh sitting them all down at a table and saying, "I figured it out because you are this person, you are this person, you are this person. You're all connected to this very old case that affected you, all of your lives in some way, one or another, yeah. and now you've all." joined forces to get revenge on Johnny Depp and all stab him yourselves because one of you couldn't do it by yourselves. You needed all 12 or 13 mm-hmm. of you guys to do it together. And I was like, that just it felt unnecessary. I felt like, why can't one of these people do it themselves? It would have been more interesting to rewatch this yeah. knowing that, okay, so this is the real person instead of knowing they're all in on it together. Why? <sighs> well, I mean, like, it's kind of like... You have to, like, see it through, like... I mean, like, it's so innovative. Like, hear me out. Okay. Like, you know, it's kind of like the ultimate gaslight where Hercules Poirot... And maybe the movie didn't do a great a great enough job doing this because all of these interviews were done, like, checking boxes. They're yeah. all like, oh, I did. I interviewed him. I interviewed her. interviewed them. It was just the next plot point. Exactly. And then he kind of basically said, oh, they all ended up knowing... This family who had their daughter kidnapped and killed by who Depp's, um, or I forget even the name, yeah. the, the gangster. Yeah. And so the way it plays out without any mingling in between, you maybe I guess you probably don't get to see how confounded Perot is, mm-hmm. at least as he comes across in the book and I would say the 74 film does a better job of him kind of being like, I don't know what to do. So perhaps it would have benefited from a storyboard or, you know, a big suspect board. Well, like Like, there's there's no moment where he kind of pieces together clues. Like, okay. So I think Daisy Ridley and Michelle Fiverr have a connection. I don't know what it is yet, but I, they're, their stories are pairing up together or something. Yeah. There's no moment like that. They're like, oh, those two characters you saw at the beginning of the movie interact? Yep, they're connected in some way. It's like, wow, big surprise there. Right. But all the other people are treated as complete strangers. So then when he pieces it all together randomly after one conversation with Daisy Ridley, he's like, all right, I got it. You all are on it together. You all killed him yourselves. And like, what? <laughs> And then he just lets them all go, which is dumb. Because he said two minutes before that you guys have to kill me like you killed Johnny Depp. Otherwise, I'm going to tell on you and turn you in. And then he just lets them walk. And I was like, what? You're a detective who was brought in 
well, he, he wasn't brought into this case. He just happened to be on the train when exactly. it happened. But he's, he's the guy who solved it, and then he just lets all... He, just, he let 12 murderers walk. Yes, but, like, haven't you... Like, you didn't like the character of Perot. Like, he's he's almost retired. He's like, I've done my last case. And they're like, but Governor, we got another case for you. sets up a sequel, so it's like, what? Well, that, he, he goes from... It's not setting up a sequel. It's just how the book... I mean... His next adventure is the murder on the Nile. So, okay, which, and, if it happened, would be a sequel, yes. Well, yeah, but they're not setting it up. They're just kind of like, hey, wink, wink, Agatha Christie's uh, other book with this guy is right over there. I don't think any ending tease in Hollywood is a wink, wink to source material. It's always, hey, if this movie does good enough, at least we have a, we have the, the, the sequel already built into our story. You know what, though? I would totally see Murder on the Nile with Kenneth Bronner. Okay. That would be terrific. Because I don't remember how that moment goes about. I mean, all. maybe. I mean, but I think I'm it made like. I'm pretty sure he's on the boat. I think it made like thirty million dollars opening weekend, which is decent. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, maybe that's half its budget. So, but it's also getting mixed reactions, obviously, as you can tell here, but yeah, also just I, in general consensus as and, well. And that's kind of how I'm like I'm feeling here because I'm actually off- I'm I'm, a, I'm unbelievably offended if I can't you know say so that you <laughs> do not like the the overall story here. Okay, and, and maybe if you read the book. Uh, you could appreciate it more because it, there's it's a little bit more. It, there's a darker shade to it, and not as much as um, is here mm-hmm. or is in the '74 novel or in the '74 film, which is a little bit more kooky and wacky. And it's kind of like Hercules Prose character is sprinkled over everybody, and they're they're much lighthearted versions of themselves. Okay, like think of it like 1940s overacting. Like that, that would be kind of like how it all plays out. Uh, so perhaps if they have gone a little bit more of the route of the book where there is this chapter by chapter, well, is this the person? And the, the person that he's always investigating is acting super guilty uh, as opposed to here where they're, they kind of put a lot of the motives on Josh Gad's character. Yeah. Like he's the prime suspect, number one. Everybody else kind of gets a pass mm-hmm. a lot of the time. So you don't really get any like whiplash back and forth. Oh, it's him. It's her. It's him. It's her. It's him. It's her. And, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's knife in the back. That was so obvious that I was staged in some way. I was like, yeah. this is what? It was, yeah. Like that came across. Like when you read that in the book, you're like, it's a lot more dramatic. Like she's like, almost like left to die at that point. And you're like, oh no, it couldn't have been her after they like heavily believe, let you believe that it is her. So that, you know, back and forth was kind of thrown off and it was a bit of a letdown. But I mean, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a Bronner fan <laughs> and that's why I can't bring myself to say like this movie don't, was... You don't like Thor, so... Well, that Thor, yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah. It struggles because once, I you, like once Thor, you think of Ragnarok... And I think of the rest of these, it should have never been done, like, you know, Shakespearean-wise. It's better than this movie. So that's all we got Oh, <laughs> for our review of Murder on Get the Orient Express. We'll be right back in a bit with the news. And we're back with the news, and as always, we're going to start with a trailer. This week, we have our first trailer for The Post, which marks the first time Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, and Meryl Streep have ever done a project together. It <laughs> is wild. And the results look like it could bring in some awards. Uh, totally. Okay, first of all, Meryl Streep, like award caliber, no matter what she does. Yeah, she sits on a literally. park, a film about her sitting on a park bench, you know, <laughs> for five minutes, instant you know, short Oscar of the now. year. Yeah, exactly. Tom Hanks, basically the same thing. Bridge of Spies, very middle of the road film. Yeah. But Oscar praise because he was in it. And then also Mark. Uh, Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Yeah. And he did. He did I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't know if I would an Oscar caliber. Right. I mean, I think Stallone support. deserved it over Rylance. Right. But I mean, you know, I'm yeah. not the Academy. So whatever. You, yeah. You're not. wasn't directed by. Spielberg. So. It was directed by Ryan Coogler, though. So <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think people appreciated Spielberg or Coogler back then, or at least that early. But now, yeah. obviously, the dude is a force to be reckoned with. Anyway, we have a movie about the Pentagon Papers, which 
also relates to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And in this kind of era of like everybody calling the news liars or, you know, and like holding government to account, this movie is primed for an Oscar win. And I, I would say it looks great. We've also got Bradley Whitford. Looks like he's actually playing a character who is not himself this time <laughs> around. So that's pretty cool to see. There's Bob Odenkirk in there who looks like he is playing himself. And then Alison Brie and Sarah Paulson too. Yeah. And that that's all the makings of a juggernaut film. And yeah, I, I, I'm really stoked to see this. Yeah, me too. I mean, it looks like an instant Oscar contender. I think... I won't. I mean, I won't be surprised. I mean, we'll have to wait to see the movie, obviously, to yeah. make sure it is Oscar worthy. But if it you know, lives up to its trailers, expectations that it sets, I will not be shocked if Streep gets an Oscar nom for best female lead. If Tom Hanks gets an Oscar nom for best male supporting, which mm-hmm. is reportedly where they're going to angle him as as the supporting male and not the leading male. Uh, so you know, yeah. Some, technical stuff there i guess and then you know spielberg for best director the movie for best picture i think all that stuff's in the cards as long as it lives up to its expectations not only because it can be a it'll be a good movie but also because like you mentioned the timeliness of it with the fake news um stuff and just journalism in general continuing to be questioned and right uh you know the fact that this movie spielberg basically was like we're making this movie in six months whether you guys like it or not so we can get it out for the Oscars because yeah. we don't want to miss the, this wave and have it wait until you know next year's Oscars where maybe this stuff isn't as big of a topic. Mm-hmm. So I think it it is the perfect time for the post. I love the tone of it. I love the look of it. I love everybody involved. So it's a it's a big buy. It's I mean it's something I'm definitely gonna be there opening day for when it goes wide in January or whenever. So yeah, January twelfth. We will be there. Um, Absolutely. I'm pretty sure we will review it as well i hope uh, so we'll see yeah. i mean we i mean who knows what's out january 12th i haven't looked that far ahead but it's uh it's an early contender another uh possible oscar contender that got some uh just groundbreaking shocking news that is also very much needed and praised uh is about all the money in the world deadline revealed that ridley scott has made the decision to remove kevin spacey from the movie following all of the sexual assault allegations he has received in the last weeks, in the last couple of weeks, and uh, the movie is going to undergo reshoots immediately, and we'll uh, have Christopher Plummer take wow. over the role of J. Paul Getty. Uh, Scott is insisting this movie is going to hit its current awards-friendly December release date. The reshoots are supposed to be about ten million dollars uh, in total, and Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg have already agreed to come back to do the reshoots to get this movie done. Uh, pretty incredible move yeah. by Ridley Scott's part, by Sony's part, but it's a move that is um, worthy of applause to get totally. Kevin Spacey out of this movie, get him off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. Not, I, mean, not, I mean, not literally, I guess, but continue to push his career aside and Please. get him out of Hollywood and getting somebody like Christopher Plummer is great. And, I mean, if everything turns out the way it is, I think – getting rid of space he and continuing to hit a release date that is about a month away mm-hmm. when you're going to reshoot and have to re-edit the movie then to put Christopher Plummer in the movie that's pretty significant and if they can get that done and the quality is still great then I think this could get uh, a bump in the award circuit because they removed Spacey and still um, brought the spotlight to a bunch of other people yeah well especially because I mean this movie, like, we've been talking about it, cause especially because, at least up until recently, we've liked a lot of Kevin Spacey's work. Right. I mean, I guess the work, I mean, can well, the work can stand, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. But obviously, conversation. yeah, I, l- at least, you know, seeing him in this film obviously was a turnoff. And in my gut, prior to, I was like, yeah, well, I'm not going to see that. Like, yep. I, I immediately said, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no thank you Ridley Scott yep. but this is such a ballsy move it is the right move uh and props to Scott for getting and letting and, and Sony for letting him get this done and them um you know not taking this the movie off the, the run entirely because like you said putting the I think Michelle Williams is gonna looks like she's set up to have a kick butt performance in this movie yeah. uh especially as a mother who lost her son and who's got to fight you know a guy who's just all about power and money to be like, there's something worth more than that. And like, you know, that's what Mark Wahlberg is, uh, I think trying to tell Getty in like one of the scenes, right. you know, like things that you're going to do to your kid can't be undone mm-hmm. for any amount of money. So that whole, all of the themes of this, um, 
actually super timely too because it's about money and you know obviously weinstein and all those payments and things like that and all you know so there's a lot of great here um and not just in the fact that you know they are doing the right thing um but they have the courage to do it too so that's good on them for that yep we'll have to wait and see uh how this all turns out hopefully it's for the better uh obviously but i mean like like you mentioned Spacey was the one that a lot of people were pegging if this movie was going to get Oscar love that it was going to be because of Kevin Spacey and so Christopher Plummer stepping in I think he can do a good job in this role of Paul Getty and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this movie turns out with him in the role and uh, without without Spacey now so uh, moving on to the DC Universe we got word this week from Variety that Asher Angel is set to play Billy Batson in Shazam which Mm. makes him half of the leading role opposite Zachary Levy Angel is primarily known for his role in Disney Channel series Andy Mack which I've never seen so I don't know who this kid is but he's young he looks the part he's unknown yeah so he's got all the makings Mm -hmm. of what I wanted in Billy Batson if they weren't gonna go with Jacob Tremblay, as yeah. I would have picked. Yeah, he he definitely looks a little bit older than Tremblay. Yeah. So probably maybe that's the route they're going to go, and especially depending on what route Shazam takes. You probably do want an older kid, you know? Right. So, yeah, good on him, Warner Brothers. I mean, didn't know this kid other than I knew the show that he's from because okay. I think my little sister, I've seen my little sister watch it. But other than that, yeah, looks like, I mean, he obviously got cast, so... Probably has talent, <laughs> and uh, with the Warner Brothers, you know, DCEU machine spinning up, I'm sure uh, he'll fit in just fine. Absolutely. So, uh, looked like DC has their second half to their uh, Shazam superhero, and one of his big villains is Black Adam, who was originally supposed to appear in Shazam, and we now know where he may actually appear first, uh, with the rap reporting that the current plan for Suicide Squad 2 is for that movie to be the introduction of Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam. Uh, this is based on the reported plot of the movie that will see the Suicide Squad be t- uh, sent on a mission to obtain a nuclear weapon, which just so happens to be, you guessed it, Black Adam. And then what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, listen, I'm all about continuity. At least, like, if you're going to do continuity, you're going to have a film universe, sprinkle it all in anywhere you can. Mm-hmm. And... The Rock, obviously, is a great thing by itself. And at least getting him established so we can have some character for the guy or at least some kind of setup so we don't have to waste time being like, well, before we get to The Rock, Johnson, here's (laughs) all of these things that you need to know about his character first. So blah, 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 blah. That can be skipped over. It can be summarized Mm -hmm. or, you know, a good part of it can be established here so they don't feel like they have to get to it when his movie comes around. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. Right, I mean, as long as it doesn't come off as, you know, just universe building and that it actually makes sense for the plot, mm-hmm. then I'm all on board for it. Because yeah. we mentioned last week that Mark Strong joined as Dr. Savannah or something. Yeah. Um, and his character in the comics finds Black Adam's tomb and is the one that kind of awakens him. So if that is how Shazam ends and then he's in, then he Mark Strong gives Amanda Waller a call and is like, hey, I found this thing. You guys maybe wanted to uh, come check it out. Right. Because I... I heard some other mercenaries are coming to get it. Then Suicide Squad 2, they got to go get it, find out it's Black Adam. As, and then we eventually get a Black Adam solo movie off that. And then we get to see Shazam Black Adam fight in Shazam 2. Yeah. That's a great way to build this character up as a villain where we get to see his perspective before we have to see him fight the vi- fight the actual hero. So yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a smart way to do it. And I think, you know, obviously you get the rock star power on Suicide Squad 2, which wasn't a good movie and it wasn't reviewed very well, but it still made a lot of money at the box office in its August release date. And I think there's a pretty good chance that it will do so again, uh, in the sequel. So as long as this movie doesn't end with a person with a couple people with guns, a person with a bat, Mm -hmm. a person with swords (laughs) and a crocodile man fighting a, you know, basically demigod like mm-hmm. being that can control lightning and stuff like, right. Then I'll be okay because I don't want to, I don't want to see that. It's like, no. it'd be like enchantress, but like way more powerful. Yeah. And there's no way they can beat them. So they'd have to come up with some weird contrived way to be like, all right, I got 
Deadshot, you still have that magic bullet that yeah. Enchantress gave you a couple years ago that can magically diffuse somebody of their right. powers? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, shoot him with it, and then Harley Quinn, take your big hammer and smack him on the head with it, and we'll knock him out. And then they high-five and go, teamwork! Go, yeah, woo! Go Task Force X! <laughs> and then El Diablo is just like... or not El, no, not, even, not, not even El Diablo. Right. Um, uh, Scott Eastwood, like, peeks mm-hmm. his head on the corner. He's like, guys, I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> do you head. need me again? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that, that I don't, as long as that's not how Suicide Squad 2 ends, sure. then I'll, I'll, be, I'll be okay with this. Yeah, like, please don't make Gavin O'Connor, you know, like, another great director play ball with some ridiculous over over you know ridiculous overpowered storyline especially right. when the guy excels in his grounded films yeah Please, and i mean no. this plot point only arose and was reported after gavin o'connor joined so i wonder if he was the one who wrote this in or if this was a pre-established thing from the previous script that'll be interesting to find out as well yeah definitely um and it's also interesting to know that millie bobby brown could be the lead in chronicles of narnia the <gasps> silver chair according to our friends over at, at the ha- that hashtag show uh they reported that tristar offered the stranger things star the role of jill pole recently they don't know if she is accepted or not or um this offer was th- this offer happened like a couple weeks ago they mm-hmm. believe um so it's possible she already passed but hopefully not. Because yeah, I think this would be great. Hopefully still considering because more Millie is the better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm already looking forward to Godzilla next year. Uh, I think it's two years. I think it's okay. 20. Uh, I know they have production right. done. Or at least filming done. Yes. Godzilla 2 is in 2019 because then Kong vs. Godzilla is 2020, I believe. Godzilla King of Monsters. Well, anyway, all I'm, I know yeah. is I'm super stoked that she's going to be in that. And I was really let down because Stranger Things 2, yep. she may be like one-third of what she is in Stranger Things yeah. is dedicated to Eleven. And she shows up like at the end to save the day. Which is weird because you'd think they'd just double down on Eleven because yeah. of how great she was in season one. And exactly. they're like, no, let's use her less. Mm-hmm. Okay. Millie Bobby Brown arguably had you know the biggest fame coming out of that show. Wolfhard probably like a second. And it was like... What are you doing, guys? But yes, Chronicles of Narnia is a franchise I got. I have some kind of emotional attachment to, uh-huh. and I would love to see like one of the best kid actors, you know, on the block, show up in there. That yep. would actually get me back interested into it because the the first the, the three movies that have been out there have been like you know okay. They haven't been what I experienced in the books. Right. So uh, the star power of Millie Bobby Brown would definitely make me say. Oh yeah, okay. Let's see a trailer. Let's you know Joe Johnson's. Yep, Joe the Johnson's director. directing. It's going to be uh, reportedly, well, according to him, <laughs> not yeah. reportedly. He said that this will be his last directorial effort unless something changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's like, well, you know, if Star Wars came off, right, it'd yeah. be hard to turn that down. <laughs> so you never know with Joe Johnson. But I mean, yeah, I mean, getting Billy Bobby Brown would be super smart because she's one of the the best up and coming actresses yeah. in the industry. And if they can capitalize on the stranger things hype, um, by the time this movie would come out in a couple more years, that'd be probably right after stranger things ends its run potentially, depending on if the Duffer brothers get their wish of going four seasons or if Netflix convinces them to go the extra season and go five. But I think Millie by Brown would be a great choice to lead this movie and bring on the reboot of Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, for sure. So uh, that is all we have for the news, which brings us to the big question this week, uh, which if you pay attention to the news at the beginning of the week, uh, in any sort of entertainment-related industry, it was a pretty big story that Fox was uh, talking to Disney about Disney buying them. What? Um, so CNBC uh, reported this, that Fox basically went to Disney and asked them if they'd be interested in buying them (laughs) because uh, Fox views that they are best served focusing on news and sports with Mm -hmm. Fox News and um, Fox Sports, which technically Disney can't even buy anyways because of ESPN and ABC. So that they would be technically forming a monopoly at that point. But they can still buy another competing studio, which I don't know exactly how that works, um, and not have it be a monopoly. But right. um, that is one gray area I'm not sure of. But uh, 
this is a reported thing that could happen. And if it does happen, it would mean a lot of changes potentially, or just some smaller changes for good or bad. But when what do, what would you think of Disney buying Fox? So the big question: Should Disney would it, Disney buying Fox be a good thing? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well you're coming back around a little bit. Well, I mean, I my gut says no okay. because uh, first of all, I just said two weeks ago or one week ago that. Fox was do absolutely doing the right thing, making genre movies out of these X Men films because we've we've seen we there's a Marvel has this polished, glistening, continuous story that they're telling with all of their films, <laughs> right. and no matter what you do, no matter what Kinberg can cook up, it's never going to compete with that, especially with you know after whatever Apocalypse was. Um, so seeing Logan seeing Deadpool, getting our first look at New Mutants, all of that is so awesome mm-hmm. that my my gut reaction was, oh no, if Marvel gets their, or Disney gets their hands on all of these X-Men characters, they're going to, you know... They're going to Disneyfy them. They're going to Disneyfy them. They're going to, uh, you know, prune off all the rough... They're going to sand off all the rough and gritty edges <laughs> that you know, we kind of love about them. And Wolverine will be unrecognizable in his new form, you know, or whatever the case, whatever right. they do, you know, at the very least, I guarantee, cause Hugh Jackman's already said the only way he'll play Wolverine again is if it was in the MCU alongside yeah. the likes of Robert Downey Jr. And Chris Evans and all those people. I guarantee if this deal happens, Hugh Jackman will be back and he will finally wear the suit. Oh, I hate the suit though. Or at least some, Thing that Variant? is close to it. Okay, fair enough. Now, he doesn't have to wear the whole thing with the headdress and all that head stuff. Dress. But oh. I mean, I think he'll at least get to wear some yellow to him mm-hmm. out, instead of just black leather. Yes, okay. <laughs> like the X Men universe has done so far. Fair enough. But him in that suit though, and Logan though, pretty kick butt as well. I mean, it's not really a suit. It's just it's a tank top. And well, no, I mean he's he's guy like he's in a suit for like the first. 20, oh, you mean minutes. like an actual suit? But yeah, his like suit and tie as a limo oh, yeah. driver. Yeah, yeah. that's a good look. Um, but yeah, okay, like so that was my like you know, instinctual reaction. Oh no, everything that I think is like great about superhero movies, at least, you know, we finally diverse diversity in the style of filmmaking for superhero movies. Not okay. not what's great. Sorry. Okay. I was like, "Whoa. I, I just totally Whoa. offended you guys. You, you just offended uh, the MCU. <laughs> well, even yes, the, even okay. Wonder Woman, you just offended Wonder Woman we, and maybe you Justice know what League. I'm we'll saying. Finally, uh, you know, some New takes yes. on characters that we were getting to see were going to go away. When you read this, did you? Ha- what was? What is your quick answer to this? My quick answer to or, would, you know, would Disney buying Fox be a good thing? Yeah, kind of like you. I don't know. Okay, it would depend a lot upon what the specifics of this deal would actually be, mm-hmm. because I don't want to see Disney take on Deadpool, for instance, right, and be like, "Sorry, Ryan Reynolds, you're you're PG thirteen now." Like. I think there's there there is some way you could do that and still make it funny with Deadpool being like why am I why am I at a new studio why does this feel totally different how yeah. come there's a bleep button now like I don't like this get you know send me back to where I belong like mm-hmm. I think Ryan Reynolds could probably have a good time doing yeah. that sort of thing but at the same time I don't want to see a PG thirteen Deadpool after I've seen the R rated version because the R rated version was awesome and mm-hmm. I don't want to see them take a step back yeah and water him down for general for a broader audience appeal. So uh, as long as that is not the case, as long as we don't see the collapse of a Fox searchlight, for instance, and see a one other studio that focuses on Oscar caliber movies be taken away. As long as Disney wouldn't do that and they would still allow those movies to happen Mm -hmm. and just kind of, they would just be the oversight to Fox in a way. And they would still let Fox searchlight do their things, maybe under a different name or something. They would still let, you know, Deadpool be R and maybe they would split up the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some different way where you could still have R rated stuff, but it wouldn't be, it would still be Marvel Studios technically, but it would also be like a sub banner of Marvel Studios, like how Warner Brothers and DC Films are doing their Elseworlds thing. So Mm -hmm. they can have these different things. They can, there can be a different, you know, you can do like Marvel Max, which is, I think their brand for, you know, more violent and bloody stuff in the comics. Uh, you could do that as a sub studio almost and have that's where Deadpool comes out of. And you could even put all of X-Men under there and that way they could still be creative with their 
with the brands with the, with not the brands with the genres they choose to go down because like New Mutants looks really great as a horror movie. I don't want to see totally that you know happen, and then maybe like the sequel be like, all right, well now it's a less horror and it's more of a thriller, but it's also yeah. you got to have a couple more jokes. Mm-hmm. Can't be as dark. I don't want I don't want to see that happen. So as long as Disney doesn't go like super super hands on and be like you have to fit the Disney model as long as long as they would let Fox continue to kind of be what Fox has been for years right. then I'll be okay with it for sure yeah like, that's actually a really great way that actually kind of calmed my my fears a little bit there okay. especially if if this this would be a good thing if they let Fox stay Fox mm-hmm. and then slowly chip away at the properties right. you know like just take Fantastic Four immediately yeah you, you don't can, you can reboot Fantastic Four immediately do its own thing and have it be feel like it's an MCU property yeah but leave Brittany I mean leave Deadpool leave the <laughs> Brittany yeah well leave Brittany alone you know what I mean oh, okay okay and you know leave these genre films go let James Mangold and every in company write that uh, script for Laura mm-hmm. and let that get out there because and then like you said with Fox Searchlight one of like one of the gems of Hollywood I would say is the movies that they pump out that go from Napoleon Dynamite to Wild to uh, like basically all of Wes Anderson's works yeah. except for like I think maybe like Wife Aquatic uh, so. It's 500 Days of Summer, the, the hipster, you know, masterpiece. <laughs> so I, I do not want to see that go away. Yeah. And I think, like, we brought up in, like, you know, Disney doesn't do Oscar movies. Yeah. So I mean, that, at least. That, I mean, that's one thing, um, which we should also bring up that. One of the reasons Disney's even interested in this to begin with isn't just to get, you know, the X Men and Fantastic Four back, like they've reportedly been trying to do for years. But it's to get even more content for their streaming service they're going to watch yeah. in 2019. So Disney's thought Ooh. process is basically okay. Well, when we launch our when we launch Mouse Flicks or whatever you want to call it, yeah, it's going to have all of our Disney stuff. It's going to have all Star Wars, all of Marvel, you know, all of Pixar, all of our animated stuff, all of our live action stuff. But then it can also have avatar it can have oh, that's right. all the diehards it can have all the recent plan of the apes movies it can have the old predator stuff it can have oh. alien it can have uh predator versus alien yeah <laughs> avp you yeah, know you can have all of these different things home alone is home right alone? yeah home alone is fox i mean they i could, could reboot home alone. i could I could definitely see disney i think that would be one of the first things disney would reboot they'd order a reboot of home alone with jacob tremblay no, I think if they did it, they would do it with a non-white male lead. Hmm. Who would you want? I don't know. Oh, Sonny R. Fr- Punch-Eye from... Oh, like from Lion? Yes. <laughs> I just watched that the other night for the first oh time. Oh, my gosh. He would do... That would be something. I want to see that kid in some He other hasn't things. done anything else yet. Oh, I would so be all about that. That would be uh, pretty interesting. I'll be good. Um, okay but, okay maybe. yeah but i mean that that is another reason they want this is so they can have a more diverse um uh library of content right, get- for people who want to who would eventually want to buy their streaming service so that and- way it's not just here's our disney channel shows plus star wars and marvel yeah. which is for everybody mm-hmm. where's the con- where's the daredevil series you know where's you know even i mean that's that's probably the darkest thing Disney's done in a long time. Um, outside of the Punisher, will probably top that, you know, next week. But yeah. you know, they don't have those Oscar type movies, those R rated uh, franchises that they would be able to um, push out there if they ha- did own Fox. That's actually, I mean, I can't believe I, you know, really thought about this. Like you said, we just talked about Fox Searchlight. Th- they wouldn't scrap that. They, I mean, I hope not. Because I mean, number one. That entire library would would be on a streaming service, right? And, and but they yeah, could, they like could still said, close the studio, of technically. course, I suppose. But why would you when they churn right. out hit after hit after hit? Right, I and mean, like I think they a quality um, studio like that. We just talked about the post. The yeah. post is Fox Searchlight. So if Disney, you know, if this deal closes in the next five months, 
it'd be right after the Oscars. And yeah. if the post pulls in a bunch of Oscars mm-hmm. like we expect it to, why would Disney then be like, all right, Fox Search, like, good job. You're closed. Yeah. So we can take – we don't have to spend money on Oscars because that's so dumb. I think Disney – I mentioned this when we recorded the episode <laughs> the first time. Yeah. That Disney if, – if any studio should be the studio that has the capital to be able to take risks on – you know, those lower budget, but even some of those mid-range budget movies right. that could be Oscar contenders because Disney is going to release a Star Wars film every year for the next you know, seven or eight years at mm-hmm. least. Plus, they have three Marvel movies a year. They have their live action stuff, which are like billion dollar hits every single time. They have Pixar. They have these movies that they have big budgets, yeah. but they know, Disney knows that those movies are going to make five times, you know, what they paid for it in profit so they don't really have to worry about it so instead of disney just accumulating all this profit to then buy fox yeah they could accumulate profit to then spend on making the next 10 moonlights for next year you know they could spend all of that money doing a bunch of indie projects which could then lead to oscars and even if not just add to non-franchise big budget stuff in hollywood yeah okay yeah definitely i mean like that is that that is one bright positive of this but that's also an if you know if disney would decide to do that of course because i think you mentioned the first time around fox approached them yeah and that that i mean and like you and that to me is kind of like gut-wrenching a little bit Mm -hmm. at least especially for fox searchlight's future right because if what if they don't get a buyer Mm -hmm. and then you know eventually decide to start scrapping or spinning off properties that just end up you know, fading into oblivion mm-hmm. and dying. Yeah, well, I mean, because Fox, they have to, I mean, it's a studio, they have to find a way to make money. And, of course. I mean, they have Avatar, they have the next four Avatar movies coming up, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, they've allotted a billion dollars to those movies to spend in production. That doesn't account, that doesn't account for marketing. And, you know, we know the first movie is the biggest movie of all time with 2.7 billion, I yeah. think, worldwide. <sighs> I mean, Avatar Two is not going to come anywhere close to that. It, it'll, I think, it'll probably get a billion because of the name, and I'm sure there's going to be a ton of hype around it by the time it comes out. But it's not going to be the worldwide phenomenon that has the legs that it has like a five percent drop every week of the box office for like three months. Yeah, like that's just unheard of. It's an anomaly. The, the, the Chinese market's so much bigger now. I don't know. Still, I don't know if China's going to count. I mean. China is very selective (laughs) with what they choose to go about. So like, and since Avatar plays with themes of uh, like resurrection and spirituality and stuff, Mm -hmm. that is, those are subjects that China doesn't normally like to uh, play with because it it goes against what the the government believes to be true. Okay. So that's why like uh, Ghostbusters wasn't allowed to be in in China is because it, you know, was about ghosts Mm. and stuff. So like, China could axe that altogether. So, well, okay, but that's very true. That's Avatar, you know, whatever. But yeah, obviously, there's a huge financial incentive in here Mm -hmm. for Disney to pick them up, Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, it could be a good thing. But I'm thinking, like, in terms of like worst case scenario, right? And it's that Disney only one. I mean, like. They want to make money at the box office before they go to streaming too, right? Yeah. So that and financial incentive is still going to be there. And if they just a studio, a movie studio can only put out so much a year, mm-hmm. right? And if Disney with Disney once owning Fox, they're obviously going to want to have the max amount of um, I don't want to say continuity, but synergy. Yes. They're going to want synergy for all their films. This movie, oh, that's a little too big. We can't really have this here. Mm-hmm. So then, they you know. They already do that now. They get, exactly. They, they are, struggle with they're it. They're struggling <laughs> with it. Like, Black Panther is arguably way too close to, uh, you know, Infinity War. I agree. I, that, that's the one thing about, like, like we didn't talk about this the first time, so it's actually a fresh conversation to have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, next year, the, all, all three of their Marvel movies come out in the first seven months. Yeah, which means we don't get a Marvel movie until the March after when Captain Marvel comes out. So that's that is such a tight window to promote three Marvel movies at the same time. So if they had you know to do if they were doing two more X Men movies a year, and if you know they had 
an apes movie one year or right the ex avatar plus mm-hmm. star wars plus you know pixar's like starting to experiment with two movies a year yeah um plus you know their live action stuff they've got one of those lined up for the next couple of years right and then just their general animated movies and like disney already has like a major temple every month basically in the year mm-hmm if they acquired Fox and they wanted to reboot or continue on the franchises like Die Hard, Alien, Avatar, Planet of the Apes, or Predator, just name a few, then you are looking at <laughs> very tight windows. For sure. And then that's not even counting the Star Wars film that comes out early May. Right. So, or late May, I should say. Yeah. But anyway, Plus a lot of films. Pirates movies and, and then so where does, Jones comes back. And, exactly. Oh. So where, did you, where does this fit in? And then you get to the point where they're saying, well, no, you can't. We're not. Don't even start that film because we don't even know where we're going to put it because we have everything mapped out for the next twenty plus years, right. or you know, dramatically speaking. So, eventually, a studio is going to just be like, well, "Okay, you can do like two films a year." And I think Fox Searchlight, you know, gets out three, four, five, mm-hmm. you know, uh, tops, and they usually come around all, around this time. Right. I, I do think that would be a little different though because those won't, those want to be temples. So if Disney's not looking they for those films. for those to make a billion or at least six to seven hundred million dollars worldwide they don't need to be concerned about oh is you know yeah. <laughs> oh we can't release you know the post two <laughs> the week after <laughs> yeah. avengers four because the post won't make any money it's not going to make that much money anyways true. so you know they don't have to worry about those things specifically um because again they don't need those movies to do super well financially because they're going to make their money back at all their big blockbusters so i guess like really what we have here is a big if yeah, it really Searchlight is. and Fox in general gets to maintain independence as well as Disney can, you know, sample what they need for their streaming service or put those films once they've completed their run through theater, DVD. And I mean, like when something comes out, and oh, I have so many questions about what happens when. I mean, do they do you go direct to DVD? Or you know, like I believe Blu-ray after you leave theaters, and then do you put it on your streaming service? I think the, like the current setup. So like Netflix and Amazon currently has the deal for Marvel movies okay. that expires next year or twenty nineteen. Um, but the current deal is basically the Marvel movies hit Netflix a month or two after the Blu-ray. So I would assume okay. it'd be the same thing with Disney. They would let the movie run its ninety day theatrical release, then it would. They would wait a couple weeks, put it out on Blu-ray, wait a month or two, put it on the streaming service. Or but if or if Disney really believes that the future is in streaming outside of physical media, then they could do same day Blu-ray and, you know, put it on their own streaming service at the same time. So which I don't want because that would just crush DVD sales even more than they're already being crushed, and I love collecting Blu-rays, but at the same time I I totally get why they would do that because the future is renting. I don't like that though. <laughs> Shoot, I forgot to return my rent. Uh, uh, yep, I had two rentals that I was supposed to return today before eleven. See, and I have to go pay an extra four dollars now because I didn't return them. And you could have just put those four dollars towards Disney's six dollars streaming service. So uh, I couldn't actually because neither of the movies were Fox or Disney. Yeah, well, so you know, hypothetically with films, I watched you know. uh, The Beguiled Ooh. and The House. Uh, Will Ferrell Amy Poehler's movie. Bad as they say? I really liked it. Okay, great then. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, it's, I think it's just, I don't, I think Will Ferrell is pretty much always funny. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me, to, I think, to not yeah. like one of his movies. Amy Poehler. And he is super funny. And him and Amy Poehler are just like the, like super enablers. They're just like, yeah. you're going to do that? Well, th- well then I'm going to do this. <laughs> and you're like, ah, they're just so, it's so crazy. It's so funny. Uh, I would recommend it. I know it's got a terrible Rotten Tomatoes score and everything, but oh, it just goes tomatoes. to show Rotten Tomatoes doesn't rhyme about everything, and I agree with Matt Singer over at Screen Crush that The House got a bad rap. It's a funny movie. How do you how do you even rate a good comedy on Rotten Tomatoes? Because comedies always get panned, except yep. unless you're like satirizing, you know, like Anchorman or Anchorman 2. Yeah. Those well, like, Anchorman well, 2 got mixed reviews on Rotten Tomatoes yeah, too. Well, unless it's like 21 22 jump street like i don't remember the last like great comedy that's come out that's got really solid reviews i mean it's a 
that maybe that's an area Fox could, yes. could explore is getting more comedies out there. Please. Like three uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing. I cannot yeah. wait for that. Oh, me too. We didn't talk about it. But since we're talking Fox Searchlight, Disney, I want to say- It is a Fox Searchlight movie, right? It is, yeah. So, yeah. I'm looking at it right here. That's how I oh, remembered man. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been looking forward to that movie since I think I saw the first trailer for it. It's got a great cast. And I've seen a lot of people peg it as potential- Oscar noms. So again, another yes. case for Fox Searchlight. If the if the deal eventually goes through, which technically the deal is, they're not talking at the moment. Right. But the expectation is that the talks will resume again uh, in the near future. So well, consider buying some stock in Fox people because it's about to go up. It seems. Yeah. And I also have. Would. This is actually a more. This is second our second time around in this conversation. Yes. Of course, and I'm actually a little bit more. A little bit more on board for it. A this little time. bit more on board for this. Outside Me too. of, <laughs> outside of, there's one benefit to recording yeah, it a second time. Outside of this, and it's, it has to do with monopolies and mm-hmm. you know things like that. I, so much, pow, Disney would basically be becoming an entertainment monopoly if this goes through. Yeah. And if their streaming service is as bold as it has the potential to be, mm-hmm. then we, you may never you know buy another DVD or Blu-ray ever again. <laughs> Or anything like that, just because uh, the synergy. If word anything, of the day, maybe that will get make Blu-ray prices go down, <laughs> and I could collect more <laughs> yeah. for cheaper, right? Cause instead the, of having to spend thirty dollars for a brand new Blu-ray, everybody would have to offload. So yeah, yeah the entire the entire collections that are out there today. But well, not even that. Just like if they still released Blu-rays. Oh yeah. But they were getting same day releases online. I would assume Blu-ray prices would be cheaper because... They would scrap the market before they let you get a good deal, I would say. Yeah, probably. But then again, I'm not an economics major. I don't know. Like, I had to pay $22 to get to buy Ingrid Goes West. Great mm-hmm. movie. One of my top, one of my favorites of the year. Um, on Blu-ray this week. And I was like, I mean, this movie's great. I'm happy to pay for but it. But you get the DVD, Blu-ray, and digital copy. Uh, it did not come DVD. It's just Blu-ray digital. Got it. But it's a great movie, so it's worth it, I guess. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I do have one final thing. This yes. is a bright point, but for a different reason. Disney becomes an entertainment monopoly because the SEC has no backbone, and neither does the DOJ. They own basically all the tentpole franchises from the 80s to now, right? Okay. And maybe we would finally stop seeing sequels. And reboots, because they would have all the ideas from one of the massive studios of the 20th century. So, finally, innovation again, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, or people just keep rating books until, you know, they find a hit. Right. And, like, you know, what seems to be still going on. It would either but, be your option or people be like, shoot, Disney has the monopoly on everything. Yeah. They have so many big franchises. We have to have yeah, more. exactly. <laughs> we and have to get compete. <laughs> oligarchy all over the place. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you know, like, not that I hate sequels or franchises mm-hmm. or whatever the case is but um valerian like that was like you know it was technically a new film yeah. based off of you know graphic novels so and forth but it was cool to see um something new mm-hmm. hit the scene not well received or i liked it it's a good it movie was, it got mixed reviews yeah and, you know sorts of so and so forth so and i don't it, think it's going it's to lose a lot of money yeah because it cost way too much mm-hmm. but it had to because it looked I mean, it looked great ambitious I want to see ambition again, more risks. Star Wars was a risk, ladies and gentlemen. Don't right. forget that. But, you know, here we are. So, it, like you said, to answer the question finally again, I don't know. Big if. Mm-hmm. I like the things we talked about. Yes. It could be great for art, and it could be awful for art. Right. I do think the one silver lining in this is that Disney is smart. For one, they're, mm-hmm. they're a smart studio. And two, Disney likes to make money, and they're very good at making money. They did do parts of the Caribbean 4, 5, so. Yeah. Okay. They have they have their hiccups. <laughs> I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm just saying they're pretty. They're typically a pretty smart studio. Um, Fair enough. And I'm guessing Pirates 5 is going to be the last one, I would hope. Um, but I would like to think that Disney's smart enough to not you know, what the age old saying is, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And Fox Searchlight certainly isn't broke, so don't don't mess with it. If anything, give them more money. For sure. So we can get more well made, well known movies out there. The talent that goes through there is unbelievable. And, you know, 
you know, if that means we continue to get, you know, just a subsection of Marvel Studios that puts out Deadpool and New Mutants and more gritty R-rated Marvel stuff, but still exists in the MCU, then I'm okay with it. And since you want to do it on a slightly positive note, I will end on a positive note as well, because this would finally bring us the X-Men into yeah. the MCU. It's something we've... <laughs> it's funny because listening to other people discuss this over the last week or so, I saw a lot of people be like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want this. Right. I want the X-Men in the MCU, but I don't want this. I didn't know this is how it would yeah, happen. Exactly. And I'm scared. And it's like, yes, the potential monopoly is a little scary and not the way I thought it would go down. I've, mm-hmm. I thought Disney would just buy the rights to the X-Men back. But yeah. if this is the way it has to go, this is the way it goes, I guess. And uh, if it is the way it happens, I'll be okay with it. Not because just we get the X-Men back. Obviously, if all the stuff we've talked about is that's how it plays out, then I'll be completely on board. But even if Disney makes some changes and maybe they scrap Deadpool and they're like, sorry, Ryan, but we don't want to make R-rated superhero movies and they just got to, you know, wipe their hands with that franchise. Yeah. But then we get a brand new Fantastic Four. Plus we get a brand new X-Men original team that actually, you know, tells the comic stories and, you know, sees brand new people in those roles. Then I th- uh, that that's a that's a positive. That's that's one way for the Marvel Cinematic Universe to continue to go on, even though it has its you know detractors that want it to end because it's too fun or it's just fun or whatever it is. Like I don't know, whatever. Um, like you know, I I want to see it continue, and I know there's a lot of people who do as well. Mm-hmm. And if they get the X Men back, that opens up the door to hundreds of other characters. Oh yeah, um, that Marvel can then play with. Plus. Some of their biggest ones, you could get Galactus, you get Wolverine, you get Doctor yep. Doom, you get all, all of these big characters that you could then be like, all right, well, it came at the perfect time because Rob Downey Jr. is retiring, Chris Evans yeah. is done, maybe Chris Hemsworth is as well. We need some big new leads, and we're, we got you know we got Chadwick Boseman, we got Benedict Cumberbatch, we got Tom Holland on the up and up, and Brie Larson, but now we can introduce some like mainstay heavyweights. Could that you know? hurt things in the long run maybe because there's you could argue that if all of these properties were under the same roof to begin with we never would have got a guardians of the galaxy because they would be like oh, we're making x-men movies we got yeah. cosmic stuff covered but at the same time marvel has learned <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. these throughout these years and i think if they got the x-men back it would just add to an embarrassment of riches they have and it wouldn't be like oh well now we can just rely on these characters because maybe the x-men have a bad uh bad reputation at this point because of all the movies they've made so you could make those you stick with the current stuff but then you also bring in the new and the unknown and pitch idea um one that i've been thinking with for a couple of days now if um what's it called what's ava duvernay's next movie a wrinkle in time yep if a wrinkle in time was a hit storm reed who is the star of that movie yeah. and ava duvernay teaming up for moon girl and devil dinosaur movie I don't know what that is. Basically, it's about a, a young black a, a young black hero who has a giant dinosaur. Heck yeah! And she's a superhero. That sounds and awesome. I think that yeah, it sounds awesome. And uh, that is an area I think would be super cool for them to go down because you get a young black actress in the mm-hmm. lead role. Plus, you get to go into crazy stuff like dinosaurs. And uh, heck yeah, another crazy way for them to continue to grow. But. Uh, we ended it last time with predictions of how much this deal would cost. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. What was uh, what was your answer? My initial gut reaction is twenty billion. Okay, and I went with fifteen billion because mm-hmm. they paid four billion for Lucasfilm, they paid four billion for Marvel, and they paid seven something seven four for Pixar. Yep. So I think Fox as an entirety is probably worth all of that because so they also get. The TV shows they get yep. Geo as well as they get uh, you know like FX is mm-hmm. television series yep. and everything like that so it's a lot of stuff. Yes, it is, and uh, we'll have to wait and see if this deal actually goes through. If there are other developments on it, like talks heat up and it's actually going to happen, or if talks collapse completely and Fox sells to Warner Brothers or something, Ooh. we'll let you know. Um, so <laughs> oh. make sure you keep tuning in to the Friends of a Podcast for the latest updates on That's... this plus other. Uh, stories as well mm-hmm. but next week what are we going to be doing uh, we're going to go see how much justice is in the justice league yeah. does the justice league movie do the team justice does the justice league do the league justice yes there we go <laughs> i knew i was circling it yeah but yeah i mean listen we've got social media reactions that range from fun to 
quote, we had having fun is like a cheap way to praise a movie <laughs> or like the least best right. way to praise a movie. So I don't know. I do know that I am so, so excited to see Gal Gadot back as Wonder Woman. I think Ezra Miller's Flash has been, you know, something that's been, I've been seeing teased across two, three movies now. And he looks terrific. And yeah, that's about it. You know, Ben Affleck's Batman is great. So it's, I'm curious to see how that lays out. Mm-hmm. And we have the stylistic, you know, in Zack Snyder and Josh Whedon's, you know, character banter. So I'm interested to see how that fuses together. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be an interesting combination of two directors' visions, even though they continue to say it's Whedon fulfilling Snyder's vision. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested to see if that's actually what happened or, you know, if you can really tell the differences and everything. Um, Like you mentioned, the characters are excellent. Um, I'm super excited to see Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller fleshed out because they both look and sound like they're the scene stealers of the movie. And that's great because Aquaman comes out next year. So I want to be excited for his movie and Flashpoint, uh, or at least the Flash solo movies, was at one time the movie I was super hyped for. But then they lost Rick Famuyiwa, and now it's just been installed in development for years, and I've just lost all interest in it almost. So I'm ready for <laughs> Ezra Miller to give me a jolt of energy and uh, you know let me feel like I need that movie again. So for sure. uh, I'm definitely looking forward. I'm, well, I am looking forward to seeing it because I want to know how it is. I, this is a movie that's going to be divisive, I believe, um, in terms of maybe it's majorly, majoritally liked. Yeah. But if it's not universally loved, there's going to be people like, oh, you hate DC. And if it's <laughs> if it gets negative reviews, it's going to be even more so. You guys just hate DC. So I'm interested to see how that all plays out. And uh, we're going to have a full preview out uh, on Wednesday um, because since we spent double time recording this episode, we're going to push our recording of the preview. So you guys will hear the preview for Just League on Wednesday, giving you guys two days head start if you're going to go see it opening night. Uh, and hopefully you guys are seeing an opening weekend, and if you do so, let us know your thoughts, and we will include them on a review for Justice League. But before we get to that, that is the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, the iTunes is going to say five-star review with comments, telling us why you listen to the show, and also, if it's not five-star worthy, tell us why. Tell us what we can do to improve and keep you listening and uh, why you would recommend it to people or you wouldn't. So mm-hmm. uh, that's it for this episode. During our time away, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by us at Friends of Film. We used to updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find me personally on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to return next week for our review of Justice League.